everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by worship pastor Tyler Stelmack. There we go. I'm going to pretend it wasn't my fault. I did the one thing that I always tell my, my bands not to do is trip over cables on the way up. I harp on Amos about it all the time, and uh, I just did it. So wherever you are, Amos, I understand. I feel you. Well, good morning, guys. Um, yes, if you don't know me, my name is Tyler. I am the worship and youth pastor here at the Vineyard. I think I know many, if not all of you, uh, but especially if you've joined us online, I'm sorry that we got rained out today. It's a bummer. Uh, I wish we could all be together outside, but... It's April. What are you going to do? Um, so I am actually here to kick off what we are starting a three-week mini-series this week. Uh, we're starting a series about worship. All right, we're starting a series about worship, so I think that they, they called in the expert. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, certainly not. Um, they, they, I, what you're actually going to be hearing in this series is uh, one week from me this week, and one week from Allison, and one week from Amos. And so I think that it's just a huge value of ours to hear from all a lot of our pastors here at the church about what does worship mean. In the course of this series, we're going to be understanding what it means, but also hearing stories from people in our church, people that you guys know about what worship means to them. How do they worship? And so we're going to be really digging into that this morning. But I thought, uh, what better way to kick off a series about worship than to kind of ask the question, what is worship? Right? What even is it? I mean, chances are, if you've been to a church, you're at a church right now, if I'm talking to you. But uh, if, you know, for anyone out there, right, if anyone ever asks you, what is worship? Well, chances are, if you've ever been to a church, you've been in a worship service, right? We make space for worship at the beginning and at the end of our services here at the Vineyard, because in the Vineyard movement, worship is so important to us. It's a huge value. But why? I mean, what is it? What is worship, right? Well, uh, if you're like me, and you want to try and understand something, right? What is worship? What's the first thing you might do? You might look it up, right? You're going to Google it. You're going to maybe look it up in the dictionary, right? Uh, maybe you'll ask your, like, we all have that friend that just knows everything. You might ask them. Well, if we're looking at the dictionary, dictionary.com actually defines worship as these three things. An act of devotion, to show honor, and to give worth. An act of devotion, to show honor, and to give worth. Well, based on this definition, you know, this definition right here, what are some things that we tend to worship in our culture today, right? Do you guys have any? See else I'm out? Celebrities, 100%. Professional athletes, right? How about uh, material like money, right? Or ideas like love and power, maybe sex? How about politicians? Ourselves. Yeah, maybe our significant other. Maybe your cat, if you're me sometimes. I love my cats. But yeah, it, it, here's the thing about this, right? There's grand ideas, like the ones that we just listed, except the cat. <laughs> uh, there's grand ideas. And then there's personal ones for, for you, Josh, and for you, Ed, and for me, right? There's different things that we all worship, isn't there? 
Well, in the Bible, we see people worshiping all kinds of things, don't we? All kinds of things. There are people that worship the sun. I feel like I'm looking at the sun, those lights. The sun and the stars and the, the ocean, right? There are, there are kings who built statues of themselves and made entire cities bow down and worship them, aren't there? In the Bible, they did this. And remember the Israelites who, in Genesis, right, uh, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai on their behalf, right? He's going up there for them. And he comes down, and they've built a, a statue of a, a golden calf. And they're, and they're worshiping it, right? They're, they're worshiping this golden calf. Like, what? Could you imagine how mad Moses must be coming down? He's like, bro, I was up there for you. And they were worshiping this golden calf. Now, that might sound silly to us, right? Um, but don't you think that some of the things that we just listed would sound kind of silly to people a 1,000 years ago? Or 500 years ago? Or 100 years ago? I mean, how about these things? Right? We worship these, don't we? The fact that we have it on our person at all times, but we can forget our keys when we leave. Or forget our child when we leave. Right? But we have our phone. We have our phone. We do, don't we? And, and I think that it would sound silly to people, even just 100 years ago, some of the things that we worship today. But it is easy to see when we list all of these things, when we see all of these examples in the Bible, it's easy to see that we as people are made with a longing, with a desire deep in us to worship. To, wor to worship something, right? We all worship something or someone, don't we? There's something. Maybe, maybe there's a few things, and that's okay. But we all worship something or someone. Let me ask a question. Think of how good it feels to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Right? I know for a fact there's a few Eagles fans in the room. I could see you in here. I know you guys have been to games. I've been to games, probably because of you. <laughs> but think of how good it feels to go to the Eagles stadium or, or wherever. Picture for yourself, right? A concert. You go to this Eagles stadium and you are just cheering on your team with, with thousands of other people in this unified voice. Right? You're, you're celebrating together on touchdowns, and you're, and you're weeping and holding each other in defeat and in sacks and in interceptions, right? It feels good to be a part of a unified voice, doesn't it? Well, it's because you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, right? For me, one of the things, uh, to, better, to better understand me, you know, one of the things that rings true for me in this sense is uh, we do these things in the vineyard, these things, these worship leader retreats, we call them. And, and these are the stories that I'm telling are pre-COVID, of course. We did not, unfortunately, have one last year, uh, and we don't know about this year. But these stories, some of you have been to them in this room, they are fantastic, these worship leader retreats, they are designed for worship leaders in the northeast region of the vineyard, which is about our area, southern Pennsylvania, all the way up to the tippy top of Maine. That's the northeast region of the vineyard in the U.S. And we take a week as worship leaders and pastors to go to this super remote camp up in northern New York. And guys, when I say super remote, there's nothing I mean, like, and it's good, but you're like, eh, maybe we'll go get breakfast. And you look, you look it up on your phone, and you're like, whoa, it's like 52 minutes away to get to a diner. 
that kind of looks like it might not even be open anymore. <laughs> but like, it's, it's good, right? It's good for the soul. We would go to these worship leader retreats. And, and my first time going, I was invited as an intern to a worship pastor in Syracuse, right, where we're from. And we, I went to this thing, and they branded as, you know, there's, uh, there's workshops and there's teachings and there's worship sessions, but really, it's a retreat. Get out, right? Just if you need to sleep for three days in a row, sleep for three days in a row. No one's going to come bug you. That's the point. You're retreating. You're filling yourself back up. And so when I went to this thing on, in the first time, you know, I was like, great, I'm just going to relax. I was in college at the time. I was also working full time, and I was an intern unpaid at the church, and I was like, this is going to be great. Somehow I got this whole week off. And I went to go relax, and what happened? I met a bunch of people that I didn't expect to meet, people that were like me in a lot of ways, people that love Jesus, people that love worship, people that can talk guitars, right, or talk like rhythm, like the nerdy stuff, right? <laughs> the worship team might get it. Some of you guys might get it. We all have our things that we love to talk about. But, you know, before I knew it, I was not resting at all. I was going to every workshop with new friends. I was going to teachings. I was staying up super late writing songs that were like so bad, but they were so fun, right? We were like jamming out. We were like going, it was, it was so much fun. And before you know it, I get home from the retreat and this happens inevitably every year. I get home from the retreat and uh, I am exhausted. <laughs> it was not much of a retreat in the sense of uh, you know, making me feel rested. But you know what? Inside my soul, I was more rested than I had ever been in my life. And I'm bummed, you know, like COVID. Of course, I understand the safeties. I missed it this year. I think a lot of people in our region missed it because it is a chance to get together and is a chance to refill our souls, right? But why did I feel that way? Because I was a part of a unified voice, wasn't I? I was around people that just felt the same way. We cheered together, right? We cried together. We shared stories. We prayed for each other. That's what it means. To be, to be a part of something larger than yourself, it really impacts your soul, doesn't it? And there's nothing wrong with those experiences. But, you know, when it comes to worshiping, and we remember the dictionary definition of worship, right? When it comes to worshiping, in the Bible, God is really clear about what he wants for us, isn't he? He wants us to worship him and him only. Not like him and this golden calf, right? Or whatever it is for you. Exodus 20, verse 2 through 5 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and you shall not worship them. It's right there. It's in the second book of the Bible. Probably after what happened in Genesis, God was like, okay, apparently this has to be spoken. <laughs> I have to say this. <laughs> it's right there, guys. And yet we see time and time again, don't we, in the Bible and in our own culture, right, in our own lives, probably a lot of us can identify even in the last week, moments that we worshiped something else, didn't we? We bowed down to it. We gave time to it that we maybe didn't have. We gave money to it. We gave energy and love to it, to these other gods. It's important that we begin to identify these things for ourselves. And going through this series, I hope that that's something that, that kind of God speaks into your guys' hearts, 
those things that you're spending time with and worshiping. But you know what's even more funny, I think, than that idea is the fact that the things that we see people worship in the Bible or even in our own world today, like, like the golden calf in the Bible, right, or maybe our cell phones or something, those things, these things that we worship, they do not even love us back, do they? They don't even love us back. You could pour so much time and money into your brand new beautiful guitar, right? I'm not saying you do this, but like you pour so much time and money into this beautiful new guitar and you love it so much. But wow, that thing doesn't care about you at all. (laughs) That thing does not care about you at all. Is that thing going to go out early before you have a long day and fill your tank up full of gas? That's just a weird example of love. I don't know. <laughs> you might not relate to you. That's a personal. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's, there's a story. There's a story in the Bible. Um, and believe it or not, there's a lot of stories in the Bible, in case you've never read it. Isaiah 44. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If you are on your phones, you can use it. And if you want to just listen, then just listen. I think we're going to be putting it on the screen. Uh, forewarning here. I'm going to read you a somewhat long part of the Bible. I do this because I'm a youth pastor, and I don't want people to tune out. So don't pull up your phones. I'll know. I'm an expert. All right. Isaiah 44, we're going to be in verse 12. We're reading all the way through 20. And this is an important story in the Bible that talks a little bit about this idea that we're talking about. So Isaiah 44, verse 12. And I'm reading from NIV as well. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and he loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it entirely with compasses. He shapes it in human form human form in all of its glory, that it may dwell inside a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself with the fire. He kindles this fire and he he bakes bread. But he also fashions a god, and he bows to it and worships it. He makes an idol. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it, he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat, and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest of the wood, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds so closed that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or the understanding to say. Half of it, I used half of it for fuel. I even baked bread over the coals. I roasted my meat and ate from it. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to this block of wood? 
Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is this thing in my right hand a lie? Is not this thing a lie in my right hand? Now that story is, it's a satire, honestly. Um, But it's really descriptive, isn't it? And it really helps us maybe to understand a little bit those things that we worship. And you know, even when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he wanted them to know that he loved them. That he loved them. He is not like this block of wood, right? He is not this thing that he's used for fuel and, and shall bow down to it, right? But that no, instead, he is the one who has saved them. He is the one right from Exodus who has saved them, brought them out of slavery. He loves us. No block of wood can do that, guys. No phone can do that. Siri will probably tell you that she can, but don't believe it. It's a lie. And you know what? He loves us. He saved us because he wants us to love him too, right? There's a transaction coming up, isn't there? He saved us, and he wants us to love him as well. You know, I shared at the beginning that you'll be hearing some stories uh, from people in our church. And um, the story that I want to share today, that I actually have sharing today uh, through a video, we're going to be having Bob Palumbo share a little bit. And what, basically what I asked him is, Bob, what does worship mean to you? And how do you worship, Bob? If you guys know Bob, some of you know Bob, Bob has such a worshiper's heart. He loves Jesus. He planted this church some, man, what was it, 30 years ago almost? Right? Around there, something. He's amazing, and he loves, he loves Jesus. So I asked him, Bob, what does worship mean to you, and how do you worship? And so we're going to hear from Bob about his story now. Good morning. My name is Bob Palumbo, and uh, Tyler has asked me to share a few thoughts about worship, specifically uh, what does worship mean to me and how do I worship. Uh, When I think about worship, I think about meeting with God. For me, uh, that is what worship means. It means a lot of things to me, but uh, meeting with God. Uh, As I express my love to God through song, through walking in nature, through prayer, uh, sitting quietly, I begin often to sense his presence and I meet with him. And it's, I think, worship through song with the church is where I most always meet with God. And when I thought about this, I think back to the 1900s, 1974 which was uh, the year I gave my life to Jesus. And about a month later, uh, a friend of ours invited us to a church that met on Saturday nights. It was a charismatic church. And uh, I experienced in that church a high degree of expectation that we were going to come together and God was going to show up. And when we we got the invitation, uh, she told us that you guys... Uh, We meet at 7, but you need to be there by at least 6 o'clock. And we figured out why that was the case, because when we arrived, there were already waiting in line uh, people going down the block and around the corner 
waiting for the church uh, that was rented on Saturday nights to open their doors. There was just, just such a high degree of expectation. And then when they began to uh, worship, uh, they were clapping to the songs, they were raising their hands, they were singing very loud. Uh, at times it got very, very quiet and you had this sense that you know, Jesus is here tonight. And at first I was just so wide-eyed with everything, it's like, what is going on? But gradually, as we continued to meet at that church, my heart opened wide um, toward God in worship and the reality of experiencing Him in worship. So worship means for me meeting with God, and, and I also wanted to share with you that it was during those initial experiences back in 74 in those services as we worshiped that I sensed God calling me to be a pastor. So how do I worship? Um, obviously a lot of those things reflect how we, uh, what we value in the vineyard about worship. Um, Marilyn and I first attended a vineyard church again back in the 1900s, uh, 1984. And when we walked into that church in Denver, we just looked at each other and said, this is home. There were the same kinds of expressions, the outward expressions of worship, and there was the same kind of sense of God's presence was so thick. So what helps me to worship is to engage those expressions. Um, Jesus in Revelation is speaking to the church and he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and have dinner with you. The way I worship, how do I worship, is to open the door to meet with Jesus by expressing my love for Him with all of who I am. Not just my spirit, but my, my body, my mind, my soul. And uh, it was, as, as I do that, um, it was, I believe, those kinds of engaging of God um, tangibly that we begin to tangibly, I begin to tangibly sense His presence. Uh, and thinking about to that, that time when we had first started attending the vineyard, um, we were seeking God for direction in our lives. We, we were trying to figure out, Lord, what's the next step for us? And during one of those services, we had a couple, and I think it was right at the end of worship, uh, a, the fellow turned to me and he looked at me and said, I want you to know, I think God's wanting you to, is wanting to say to you, you're going to be speaking in a vineyard. And it was about two months later, we continued to go to the services, and I began to sense God's call for us, and Marilyn did too, to connect with the vineyard. And so I resigned my position as pastor, and we eventually became pastors of a church that we started, a vineyard church that we started attending. So worship means to me meeting with God, and how do I worship? Um, all the expressions of worship help me open the door to meet with Jesus. Uh, that place where you come into his presence and connect with him and, and he speaks to you at times. But mostly, you know, I just want to open the door to let Jesus in so I can just enjoy him. It's beautiful, right? Hearing Bob talk about worship is a little infectious. And he has stories. I called him to ask him to do this video and, and actually to, to speak on it outside. And unfortunately, uh, we canceled that. I'm sorry, Bob. 
Um, but I'm glad that we were able to share even just one of your beautiful stories because when I called him and said, hey, would you speak on worship? I almost felt like he was like, oh my gosh, which one? <laughs> like, which story? He has so many stories of worship. And you notice one thing, just before I move on, you notice one thing about Bob's story there. He used the word worship a lot. He said, when I worship God, when I worship Jesus, but he didn't say anything about singing much, did he? And that's something important to remember for a little bit later. You know, worship is not always just singing. And, and that's a huge thing that I hope you start to understand as we hear these stories from people in our own community about how they worship. Because it is not just what we place in our heads and in our services as worship, is it? But what's the other thing that Bob said that really stood out? I mean, he spoke about love. Love. And not just God's love for him, but his love for God. Because you see, worship, worship is all about love. It really is. We have the definition, right? But worship is all about love. First, it's about God's love for us, right? That's the one-way part of the transaction. But it does not end there, does it? Second, it's our response of love back to him. It cannot just be a one-way transaction here. It needs to be back and forth. It needs to be. We're wired for that. Remember, we're desired for longing. If someone just loves you a ton, you want to love them back, don't you? Maybe, maybe not, but, but with Jesus, you do. With Jesus, you do. We're wired that way. When we worship God, we find intimacy with him, don't we? And you kind of felt that from Bob's story a little bit, didn't you? This, these intimate moments that he had with Jesus making these huge decisions in his life. Uh, going into a church that he really didn't know, right? And, and, and figuring these things out all with Marilyn, right? Figuring these things out, he found intimate moments with Jesus. But worshiping these other things in our lives, they do not give us intimacy, do they? Another example, right? These things don't love us back these things that we place so highly. Well, I promise we're not going to do this a ton, but intimacy, right? Just to, just to deeper understand this, intimacy, if we look it up in the dictionary, right, if we're trying to understand it, intimacy also has three definitions. It is a close, familiar, loving, personal relationship. That's a lot of adjectives, right, for a definition. A deeper understanding, ironic, and being comfortable and warm. Who doesn't want any of those three things? You want those things, right? We want intimacy. And, and when we as Christians, as believers, worship the living God, we, it's an act of devotion, right? We're giving ourselves to him. We're finding these intimate moments. But it takes work. It takes effort. Remember, he's not just loving us and it's like, yeah, everything's great. It's like we have to give it back to him, right? He's built us this way. God's love first and our response of love back to him. Because worship is really all about love, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> There's a song that we sing, actually, uh, here. You may know it. It's called Fall Afresh. And this song in the chorus, this song, you might know it. I'm not, we're not going to sing it, but I'm going to say it right now if you want to join me. So, Spirit of the Living God, come Fall afresh on me. Come awake me from my sleep. Blow through the caverns of my soul. 
pour in me to overflow. Overflow. It's huge. Overflow is huge. Overflow is talking about love, guys. Love so, I mean, we don't need a dictionary.com definition for overflow, right? It is when something is so full that it just has nowhere else to go but everywhere else, right? You've maybe poured a glass of water and you just were like looking at the TV and it's everywhere now, right? Love, worship is love and love is overflow. It's overflow, when I talk to worship leaders, right, when I, when I teach worship leaders, when I talk to them, this is one of the biggest things, understanding that love needs to be overflow in worship. Worship must be an overflowing of love. It starts here for all of us. And then what happens? It can go everywhere else in our lives. But it needs to start here. Because worshiping God actually orients us towards him, doesn't it? It positions us towards Jesus. And the important thing to remember is that it's between us and God and no one else. No one else, right? Not us and God and my sister or us and God and my spouse or us and God and that savings fund that I've been working on forever, right? He's going to honor that. No, no, no. It's between us and God. That's it. Let me ask a question. Have you guys ever, have any of you ever gotten really wrapped up in something? like really excited about something. Um, maybe it's like a new movie or a Netflix series, right? Maybe it is, if you're a tech person, maybe it's like the next iPhone or TV or something. Um, maybe a vacation's coming up, right? Maybe you're just like, man, I've, <laughs> I need a vacation. You're getting so excited about this vacation. What happens when these things get closer, right? We start to uh, think about them a lot, don't we? We think about them. They're on our mind constantly. We talk about them. Right? We start to talk to friends about it. they like, bro, I don't care. But you're, like, you're just like talking about it. And uh, you look for people that feel the same way about it as you do. Right? You start to try and find that unified voice a little bit. You learn about it as much as you can. These are just some examples. But you like dive in, don't you, when you're excited about something. And you spend time with it. And we know time is a valuable resource, isn't it? We spend time with that thing that we're excited about. And maybe you guys can identify, as I'm talking about this, maybe you can identify some things in your life that are this for you. I'll share a funny story briefly. I am actually a rather excitable person. I, I yeah, I'm sure you couldn't tell, right? I, I, um, I love to get excited about things. I get so worked up. It's funny. My wife, Courtney, picks on me so much. We have uh, funny tendencies in our home. Like, we'll be watching, right? Maybe we just watched a, a series on Netflix about Vikings. It gets over, and I'm like, oh, man, the Vikings are so cool, bro. I want to learn about the Vikings. So I go on Google, and I start learning about the Vikings. And before you know it, I'm on eBay. I'm like, whoa, look at this axe, though. This axe. Bro, there's only one of these axes. We need to get this axe. <laughs> I get so excited. And you know, a funnier example, actually, that wasn't supposed to be my funny example, but, but the, a funnier example is that months ago, uh, in the heat of COVID, when we were very like locked in, we were all kind of like questioning life a little bit <laughs> and like trying to figure out, oh, am I even doing the right thing? <laughs> we were all just hectic, right? I uh, watched a documentary on my day off about cheese. Guys, I kid you not. Courtney would love to tell you this story. I watched a documentary about cheese. She was at work, 
I watched this documentary, and it was a long one. It was two-plus hours about cheese. And, uh, oh, my gosh, what happened after, right? I, oh, everything, learning everything about cheese, the flavors, the different types, the history, the rich history of cheese, right? Where, how did it get to America? What, what even is cheese, right? Like, trying to understand, how do you make it? And, and uh, before you know it, right, the documentary ends, and I'm just like, I'm like, I need to learn more about cheese. I go on YouTube. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Look, you can make cheese at home. I'm like, you can do cheese. Like, all this cheese. Courtney gets home from work, and uh, I am just like, I'm gone. I'm like, Court, hear me out. Welcome home, by the way. Hear me out. Cheese. I want to make cheese. I really want to make cheese. I'm excited about it. And she just laughs at me because she knows me. I get so excited. She, you know what she said? She's like, why don't you just sleep on it? Let's give it a week, and if you're still excited about cheese in the morning, we can look into making cheese. And what happened? It fizzled out, right? It fizzled out. I mean, I love cheese, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to necessarily make it. Turns out I can't. That's actually probably the largest barrier. You need, you need a cellar, and it needs to be cold, and I know a lot if you need to talk. Talk to me if you want to make cheese. But, but guys, isn't it the same way? Isn't it the same way with Jesus? When we begin to focus on something, when we get excited about something, we spend time with it like the cheese, right? Isn't it the same way with Jesus? When we turn our attention towards Jesus and and spend time in worship with him, worshiping him, we find that other parts of our lives start to orient themselves towards him as well, don't they? Like our time, like our money, like our decisions. Right? I was willing to throw time, money, and decisions at cheese. But the same thing can happen to Jesus. You just have to, it has to be love to and from. I'm hoping, like I said before, I'm hoping that in this series, you guys can begin to identify a few things. What are the things that I worship? Right? And there's no shame here. What are the things that I worship? Maybe I spend too much time. Maybe I spend too much thought and it gets in the way. Right? Money, whatever it might be. What are the things that I worship? How do I worship? There's no wrong way, right? But you're going to hear from a lot of people different ways to worship. And there are beautiful ways. There are beautiful stories of worship. Guys, it's so important that you hear this from me, right? From your worship pastor at this church, first and foremost. Worship is not just a song at the beginning and at the end. Worship is not just the buffer that you have to go get a refill before the teaching starts. Don't get me started. (laughs) Worship is not to be treated, right? Like, oh, we can be late. It's okay. We have five extra minutes. Worship is, they're doing the song, right? Mm. Worship is not a reason for that. Worship is not a reason to learn an instrument to impress someone, right? Worship is not a rock show or a performance, right? It's not, again, it is not a one-way transaction. The worship team does not stand up here in hopes to just make you go like, this is great. You know, there's, there's reciprocal there. Worship orients us towards him. One of the most important, profound things that I've ever been told as a worship leader is that as worshipers, this might be confusing, so follow me here. As worshipers, we are in a position to position other people's hearts towards Jesus. We are placed in a position 
to position other people's hearts. And guys, I say worshipers, that's not just the worship leaders at this church. That is not just the musicians at this church, that the pastors, that is worshipers, the body of Christ, all who worship him. We have an opportunity to position other people's hearts towards Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up. We're about to enter into a space of worship, just like we always do at the end of our services. But I just really want to encourage you guys to lean in, to lean into this, right? And, and we have talked about ways, we've shown ways about what worship looks like. But guys, at the end of the day, I wholly encourage you to very wholly be yourselves. If you feel like you want to stand and sing, sing. It's beautiful. If you need to move around, oh my gosh, one of the most beautiful moments of worship I ever had in my life was when a worship leader was singing, and they said, I just feel like people, there's like this restraint, and people want to move, and we just break that, like freedom to move if you want to move. And the whole room started like dancing, and it was wild, but like something happens in us, doesn't it, when we worship? Like Bob said, we open the door. We open the door. So we're going to move into a space of worship, and I encourage you to open that door for yourself here this morning. Whether you're at home in the living room, guys, make some space. Make some space to worship Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together. Does that sound good? Great. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, help us to worship you this morning. Help us to identify the things in our lives that we worship most that are not you, Father. And Lord, orient our hearts towards you. Help us to feel your love so that we can give you our love back because Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And we want this love to be an overflow out of our souls, an overflow so that the people close to us would understand who you are as well. So come, Holy Spirit. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.